Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy, executive producer, it should be said again, Cardian enthusiast, Cameron McCoy. Also, uh, really doing some Pink Floyd riffs lately. Mm, it's true. Caught your newest yeah. YouTube video. Enjoyed it. Fun fact, you made me enjoy that song more. I, that is one of my least favorite Pink Floyd songs. Really? And okay. yeah. yeah, like I don't, I don't hate it or something. It's sure, just not, sure, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, it's one of those things. Whenever you dig into it and watch somebody else play, you appreciate it more. So sure, that's yeah. it. That was well, my thanks, the more you know moment. Um. <laughs> so next time I'm expecting Cemetery Gates by Pantera. Um, I, yeah, seriously, I need to do some Pantera. Uh, don't we all? Um. Seriously, though, I mean, Pantera's best song is probably Walk, right? I love the live version of Cemetery oh, Gates, yeah. but Walk yeah. is just, just quintessential. That is just like quintessential is the best word. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, 90s metal aside, Cameron, um, I want to talk to you about Magic the Gathering. We got a few topics to talk about this week. Well, we always like to start out every episode with what we've been playing. I feel like you've been hitting the Explorer format. I've been hitting the draft format of Shadows mm. over Innistrad. Tell me about your impressions, man. Live from the metagame. Yeah. The so I, I've, as I put in the show notes, a potpourri of Explorer content right now. Um, I've played a lot of different decks, uh, and it's all spawned from uh, – putting a few thing in the ice into my blue red Phoenix deck. And then, I mean, woodshed whooping. Like, I mean, like I have been losing so hard with that deck and to the point where like I went from two thing in the ice to one thing in the ice to zero thing in the ice. And I, I'm sitting here still losing. I mean, so many matches and I'm, I'm playing against a wide variety of decks. Um, it's garbage. <laughs> I've been just having, I mean, maybe people have been having good success with it. I don't know like what the actual metagame results are, but for me, it's just like one of these decks that I feel like my opponent always has an answer to slow me down a turn or, or do whatever to the point where I, I just feel like I'm just, always 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 behind um so yeah like that's the the blue red phoenix list was like the thing that I was like all hot on last week and this week i'm just kind of like i cannot put up any results with it so like you know last night and this morning i i play a who's who of the other decks uh mono green win outright and it still continues to be like i think one of the better decks that you could be doing mm -hmm. um band spirits which is um, a harder deck to play. Uh, there's a lot more decisions, which I love. Um, and it's okay. I, I think uh, uh, the metagame has kind of settled where like spirits is like one of the best things you can be doing. And so your opponents know how to approach it. Um, mm -hmm. And then blue, back, blue black control, which is just the torrential gear Hulk, commit to memory, and just a whole bunch of other spells. And it's actually pretty for whatever reason it seems to do well against like the black red deck it seems to do well against blue black uh mirror matches and mono green it's um 
I don't know. Like I, I've just been having a lot of fun doing the commit to memory thing. So um, yeah, that's kind of just been the week. I, I'm just trying to figure out like why Blue Red Phoenix. Well, I mean, there's two things. Blue Red Phoenix just seems to be kind of garbage. Um, the other thing is just like the Blue White Controllist, which I've been playing in Pioneer, and I haven't played a lot of Pioneer lately, but it seems to do okay. Like, I feel like I have pretty decent success with that, but it seems awful in Explorer. Every single time I play it or I play against it, it's the losing deck. Um, and I'm trying to figure out, like, what am I missing? Is there actually a card that I'm missing from Pioneer that... I mean, it seems to be all there, especially with, like, Supreme Verdict and Farewell and, like, everything else that you're doing in the main deck. It just still doesn't seem to be jiving the same way that the paper counterpart does. Um, so I think both are symptomatic of the same problem in that the decks around it... Um, are different and so you get kind of a little bit of a different vibe so first of all i think blue red phoenix whether it has thing in the ice or not um really preys upon mono green and the hidden strings deck right because you can have these turns where you go off and you can just really put a lot of pressure on that same with the creativity deck um like if you like you have to play phoenix in a way that's a little bit more tempo-y um, like I'm playing two to three spell pierces in my Phoenix deck, which is weird. Okay. Yeah. Right. But here's what I would suspect is in the process of happening. We are not that far away from blue red Phoenix to just have that be blue red ledger shredder. And that the cards surrounding it differ like thing in the ice solves a very specific problems against very specific decks that are bad matchups. Angels, for example, Mm -hmm. that is your out to that deck. Otherwise, yeah. you are not beating that deck with Phoenix. But my experience, I don't know if this has been your experience too, in the current iteration of Explorer, as soon as my opponent's playing black, I cannot win that matchup with Phoenix. It is really hard. Um, and a lot of the, especially Rakdos decks, not only have exile effects or kill effects that can really like very efficiently answer your threats, but they almost always are playing unlicensed hearse, right? Mm, mm -hmm. And you have to counter it on the spot because a lot of times, you know, you'll, you might have an abrade, but that doesn't answer the problem. And so those, there are those problems where, in my experience playing with the deck, and I don't know if your version is playing with Ledger Shredders, but Ledger Shredder oh, yeah. is by far and away the best creature in the deck. It's not even particularly close. It's, it's so good, yeah. 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 And really, if we're, if we're being honest... The Phoenixes haven't been that great for me either. They kind of end up being a alternative thing that post-board my opponents are targeting, like with Graveyard Hate. And sometimes you can get these hands where, you know, you're like Ledger Shredder, Ledger Shredder, Crackling Drake, and then their Graveyard Hate effectively becomes nothing. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, there, there's not those... The, the metagame doesn't line up in the same way. There is a lot of black-red on Arena, in my experience. Like, that is probably... Like, the deck I've played against the most in Explorer. Yeah. Um, and I would also argue that that's probably... The blue-white thing, I think you might have to make some changes here or there to make it work for you. Um, but don't worry. I think, especially as we're about to talk about, like, white's going to have some answers. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... 
it also like weirdly the mono green matchup isn't super straightforward for blue white in pioneer um and so that's always giving me problems it's like i feel like my hands never line up with what they do so um i would say keep playing blue bat black control i think that's going to line mm-hmm. up a little bit better um how do you handle bant spirits against angels against green red aggro do you like because i feel like that's the matchup where i just get my head kicked in yeah mean- like i i like banned spirits a lot but it just it's a little too much of a like especially the collected company man i'm just relying on that way too much and there are so many times where there are already 15 angels on or whatever you know they're not 15 but a ton of angels on the deck and i'm my my answer is just to blind cast collected company and I whiff, you know, <laughs> like I put like one mausoleum wanderer on and it just doesn't do what I need it to do at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I think there might be a better like spirits. I think you were talking about like the blue white deck. Is probably like a little bit more consistent and like purposeful with what you're doing, versus the collected company deck where I mean I'm just rolling the dice every single time. Yeah, and I would also say that like human seems to be a really unexplored space in no pun intended, but like in Pioneer slash Explorer, I I would suspect they're just missing the one drop mana dork, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But so you like you don't get a real like good. Uh, way to jump ahead on your collected companies but there there does seem an opportunity for like reflector mage to be very good in this meta at times so i don't know like reflector mage spell queller scavenging who's like there's a bunch of the utility creatures that are great hits off of collected company mm-hmm. um that could really solve a lot of the problems that you're running into but i i just i don't know if the synergy is all the way there either um hey i just want to talk about shadows over Innerstrad remaster draft and and i'm kind of refining my thoughts on it as time has gone by we're on the third iteration of this draft so now we're into sacrifice outlets um mm-hmm. being in it and i again i really think this is a soft way of doing alchemy where you add these extra cards this is getting to the point where it's a little closer to cube because of what innistrad is so like for example, you probably play probably a fourth of your games, if not more, revolve around someone getting milled out because of the way the format is built and how many mill cards there are and things like that. So I really wish with this format, and it'll never happen because Watsi has a thing about best of one, when we're talking about formats like this, I really think best of three fits a little bit better with what Innistrad is because the games are kind of funky. There are times where... I'll give you an example. There's this card, Epitaph Golem. It's a 3-5 artifact creature for 5. And you can pay 2 to put a card from your graveyard on the bottom of your library. That was a sideboard card in older formats, right? Mm-hmm. It's very main deckable in this format because of how often you're running into the mill decks. But then you run into, you know, green-red werewolves, and it's just the worst. So it kind of, like, I guess at the end of the day, my issue is it doesn't mirror old shadows over Innistrad to the level at which I'd like. And also it feels so cubey 
that sometimes you get just blown out by these really unintentional interactions with cards, or maybe they're quasi-intentional, but they, the set wasn't designed that way. You know, I got milled for 26 cards in two turns, like, today. <sighs> you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, like, these things happen, and that's fine, but I don't feel like I have recourse like I would in a best of three to, like, okay, I'm going to side in my counter magic to deal with, you know, this stupid rare that hit me out of nowhere, right? Um... So I'm really interested to see how they handle these remastered drafts going down the line. Um, but I would like, I, again, it's hard to let, let go that there's not a really good idea here. Um, so I do think there's a lot of me like wanting to applaud what they've attempted. Mm-hmm. I just don't love it. So, Cameron, I want to just talk very quickly, March of the Machine spoilers, I don't think we talked about Elspeth last week. We did not. A better show host would know, but you're stuck with me. So Hey. What do we got? So we have a new Elspeth Planeswalker that costs four mana. That's two colorless white, white, and loyalty of four plus one. Create a one-one soldier creature token with lifelink. Minus two, put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. It becomes an angel in addition to its other types, and gains flying. And then minus six, return all non-land permanent cards with mana value three or less from the graveyard, <clears throat> excuse me, into the battlefield. Um, Listen, the four mana White Planeswalker is something that is always going to, I think, find a place in standard. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, you know, like, my main question right now is, are you putting this in rather than Wandering Emperor into the mono-white deck that I've been kind of dabbling in here and there for the last few weeks? Uh, it, this is This is really, really good, but, like, Wandering Emperor has, like, more... And maybe you're playing both. I don't know. But, like, you know, it's just kind of like if I'm looking at that mana curve of, like, what are you doing on turns four, five, and six? And would you rather on those turns have the Wandering Emperor where you flash it in, exile a creature, and, you know, there's that, you know? Or are you putting something like this into play? where it's a little bit slower, where it's not flash, you're just putting in a 1-1 token, and then hopefully getting to that minus 6, you know, in three turns after that, or something like that. So this is a good card, um, I but I just, on its face, if I'm looking at my 4-drop in the mono-white spot, any sort of, like, control list, Wandering Emperor is always going to be the thing that I'm doing right now. Also competing in a lot of these decks with Shieldred. Um, sure. Which matters, right? So, like, Esper Legends has kind of gotten to the stage where it's mostly creatures. So I don't know that it would really fit in that deck. The mono-white deck, I'm not convinced um, that it would also see play. So there's some things that can get back. So, like, probably the most notable thing that you would regularly be getting back that's not a... Cr- like, okay, yes... Like, a spirited companion might will likely die over the course of a game, and you would like to return it. That's cool. Um, but things that naturally die is really Restoration of a Ganjo, right? That's the only mm-hmm. saga that naturally puts itself in the graveyard, um, whereas everything else kind of doesn't, right? Wedding announcement flips. 
Um, and maybe just this plus six is, or minus six is just kind of a win more. Blue-white control has been in and out of this metagame. I think that fits better with this card than mono-white or Esper Legends. That's not to say this is a home run, but this could be, you know, you're playing three or four Wandering Emperors and two of this at your four, right? Because Tarath with this down really puts you in a spot where you're, you're very successful. And, like, lifelink, traditionally... Aggro, de- aggro decks don't need lifelink the way control decks do, right? And also, f- the original four mana Elspeth, way more of a control card than you might have thought, right? So, right, yeah, yeah. That's what it feels like to me, but that could be my bias speaking. Now, here's one that, um, conversely, I think might be much more in your mono white deck, and that is Knight Errant of Eos. Um, Eos, Eos, um, Convoke. It's a 4 4 human knight. Um, when it enters the battlefield, look at the top six cards of your library. Tell me if you've heard this one before. You may reveal up to two creature cards with mana value X or less from among them, where X is the number of creatures that conv- they convoked Knight Aaron of Eos. Put the reveal cards in your hand and then shuffle. So, this could be a very powerful Esper Legends or Mono White card, right? Like, this is a quasi, and you could do this very early comparatively, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are you thinking on this one, man? Yeah, I mean, like, if there is a, this mono white deck, um, I think I was telling you during the pre-show that this is, like, the sort of card that I think changes that mono white deck from more of, like, this weird control thing that it's trying to do to much more of just a mid-range like i mean like very much a mid-range and this is like a a perfect example of like that mid-range deck where you could yeah put this on the battlefield relatively early and um and do the i i can't remember what the red white card is but that thing (laughs) yeah 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 all right so look do you remember last week we were like Man, I don't know about these battles. None of them yeah. are seem that powerful or that exciting. Um, we have promptly been rebuked by the full set. <laughs> um, why don't you read for us Invasion of, is it Fiora? Sure. That sounds right. Uh, a four black black uh, for a battle siege uh, with a defense of four. Um that it has uh, when this invasion enters the battlefield, choose one or both, destroy all legendary creatures or destroy all non-legendary creatures. And then when you remove the four counters or the four defenses, uh, it turns into Marchesa Resolute Monarch, which is a legendary creature for th- with a th- power and toughness of three, six menace death touch. Uh, when this monarch and attacks, remove all counters from up to one target per minute at the beginning of your upkeep, if you haven't been dealt combat damage t- since your last turn, you draw a card and you lose one life. <laughs> so there's a few things going on here. <laughs> uh, just a little bit. Like, I mean, it's kind of creeping in on the uh, whatever arena planeswalker that was that had like 15 different bullet points. <laughs> yeah. Bullet points on it. Uh, no, like, I mean, okay, so 
six mana, destroy all non-legendary creatures. Cool. Like, I mean, if you're at that turn six and this is a sort of card that you need, cool, you've done that. I don't know how you're actually whittling down your four. I, I mean, like, yeah, that's great, right? Like, I mean, on its surface, that's fine. Um, it, it's just this flip, man. Like, it's really, really good, but, like, I'm just struggling with the approach, I guess, is all I'm saying. Okay, so here, let me... let me, so, Give me a scenario, yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, there's this card called Shieldred the Apocalypse. Maybe you've heard okay. of her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I've got this four mana, which is like a four of in Esper Legends at this point. Mm-hmm. Turn six, you've got a bunch of, I don't know, your mono white dudes down, right? Uh, I go, okay, destroy all na- non-legendary creatures. Boom. Mm-hmm. All your creatures are dead. I have Shieldred. Then I attack this, right? Um, and then... Okay. It transforms, uh, yeah. Yeah, as, as they say in the UK, Bob's your uncle, right? Um, basically, maybe I'm overrating this because it just feels like it is so easily the top end of Esper Legends that you really don't have to think about it. You just play two of these, and that really shores up a bunch of matchups Yeah, uh, against the yeah. aggro decks because like, you just blow up their side of the board, right? And, oh, yeah, sometimes they're going to be left with a Lauren of the Third Path or something. Like, yeah, I guess that's a bummer. That happens, right? You can also blow up everybody. Like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but this also stacks weirdly with the other ones because I believe the Marchesa side clears out other uh, battles when it attacks because that would technically remove all the counters. Mm. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, like, you can also kill a Planeswalker by taking off all of its loyalty counters? I don't know what it does to a Reckoner Bankbuster. I'd have to look at it again. You kill Sagas, right? Like, mm-hmm. or wait, yeah, there's Sagas, a lot that you... Or Sagas That's not a, Those aren't counters, right? They are counters, but I don't know if it just starts again like it, like on your draw phase. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it has to hit three, then it dies. Guys, look, I just do what the computer does, okay? So don't. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, this just feels like an easy slot in like, and and Cameron, let's live in a world where you play Invoke Despair into this. Like, gross. Gross. I don't know how a human being uh, beats that. But anyway, hey, I thought we we could have uh, one more battle. So why don't you uh, read that one for us? (laughs) Uh, the invasion of new phyrexia Mm -hmm. Uh, this is also a battle siege x1 and i'm sorry x white and a blue Uh, when invasion new phyrexia enters the battlefield create x22 white and blue knight creature tokens with vigilance and then when it transforms from its sixth defense becomes a new teferi um, with a loyalty starting at four plus one, draw two cards, then discard two cards. Unless you discarded a creature card, you get an emblem with knights you control get plus one, plus zero, and have ward one. And then minus three, tap X creatures you control. When you do, shuffle target non land permanent and put an opponent controls with mana X value or less into its owner's library. Um, 
so yeah, like, um, I mean, just the ability, honestly, like creating night creature tokens, however many needed need. I mean, that's kind of like the Sphinx's revolution revelation. That's the sort of like blue white control thing. Um, that could be really, really good. So like, I mean, if you have the ability to put seven of these two, two white creature tokens onto the battlefield, that could be really, really good where like, you know, you wipe the board with a wrath turn five, maybe you're playing something else and then turns six or seven. Like, I mean, we're netting some major value, right? So there's that. And then on the, the Teferi side of things, like, um, it's really, I, I think that plus one could be, if we're in that control route, eh, maybe you're, I mean, you're just filtering your, your, your hand, your, your draws, yeah. your, your draws, right? Which is great. Um, but yeah, if you can get to that minus three and just remove another planeswalker or another battle or a siege or whatever that is, it's pretty good too. So um, the ability, to, I mean, anything that just generates X creatures for a blue and a white, that's pretty good on my for, for me, I think. Yeah, and you might just, there is an Azorius Soldiers deck. So it's... It's hard for me to get sold on that because, A, you don't get any of the night bonuses, mm -hmm. right? And so it doesn't, like, this is just kind of an army in a can by itself. And like like you said, I think it's easy to go, oh, man, you need a ton of creatures in your deck to get that plus one working. Where I would suspect often when you flip this, it's the minus three that mm -hmm. you are engaging in because you need to get rid of their shield rid or something like that, right? So... It is immensely powerful, but very hard to. It's really hard to evaluate because of the hoops yeah, you got to yeah. jump through, right? I, but I, I'm gonna say I I feel like when Shark Typhoon came out, that was kind of hard to evaluate as well. I didn't know exactly how good like that type of card was going to be, and this honestly kind of feels like a. A slightly, I mean, an altered Shark Typhoon, I guess. But, like, it, on its surface, it has enough potential um, and enough going for it where, I mean, you could very easily, over the course of two turns, have a three-for-one or you know, or something like that. I don't know. I guess the, the thing that I'm starting to come around on on the battles is I do feel like it promotes interaction. Yeah. yeah. So th that's a good side, and I do think these have a little bit more personality than the original ones where it was like, Wait, I got to go through all this effort and mana to get something that I could have gotten for two mana in the past. Mm -hmm. Where, say what you will about, you know, the text on the backside of Marchessa, which is, you know, reaching a Old Testament level of text <laughs> density. Um, I, I, just, I just really hope they continue in that way. Hey, we're up against it, so I, I'm, I'm going to hold off talking about MagicCon Minnesota. But I do want to mention this, because Channel Fireball has been posting these non-banless modern um, gameplay videos. And it's been super fascinating. So I want to put the list in front of you. This is just an intellectual game, Cameron. I'm just asking you to pick three cards. On the modern banless, there are 40-some-odd, right? Yeah. And uh, don't worry. Don't worry. Most of the things from Modern Horizon 2 are still A-okay. Um <laughs> But what would you like to see go stay? Reed Duke was talking a lot about Umazawa's JIT on mm. one of his videos. 
What's your perspective here, man? Uh, I miss Birthing Pod. I think it's a card that like loomed large back in that 2014, 2015 era um, of modern. Bring it back, and we'll see that it's the new Bitter Blossom, and it won't do a single thing to the current modern metagame. Another one I would like, I think, to see in there, um, and I'm sure there's a busted way of getting it to go to a 2020, but Dark Depths would be really interesting. Um, I would, I would, you know, give me that. Give me, give me Dark Depths. And you know what? Green Sun Zenith, man. I, I think we're at a point now where that like modern is just such a game of solitaire. Um, give me some toolbox. I want I want my toolbox. Give me Green Sun Zenith. Yeah, and I think it would engage an elf deck. Like at least where that doesn't really exist in modern right now, at least not yeah. in a competitive level. Um, look, I've sworn a blood oath against Splinter Twin. I lost a very heartbreaking <laughs> win in at a PTQ to um, Splinter Twin, and this has been like a decade ago, and I'm not the kind of guy that holds grudges, Cameron. Um, but the guy um, top-decked it, and so look, I do I think Splinter Twin would probably be okay now, but yes, but I can't just because of my own um, personal biases. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I think Field of the Dead is totally fine. Like, I still cannot get past Valakit being legal and Field of the Dead not being legal. Like, to me, that is just <laughs> wild, right? One creates something that you can interact with. Good luck trying to interact with a Valakit, right? And Field of the Dead, like, I think causes games to slow down. Um, and so I'm really kind of fine with it. Um, Birthing Pot, I think, is is a really, really, really good one as well. Jit, I would also back up. Um, I think that there are some other, like, I don't know. Let's let's just have this thought experiment. Let's just put Ayabugan in, right? Eldrazi mm-hmm. is an actual real deck again. Is that really breaking the format in the way that it did before? I would love to see it play out and know. Like, I think it would yeah. be a good deck. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you kind of run into this thing, too, with, like, I don't know if you remember kind of the sequencing, but Golgari Grave Troll got banned, and then Hogak got banned. And it's kind of like, well, if Golgari Grave Troll was back, I think Dredge would be fine again, but not, like, like because it's kind of unplayable now. And it would be nice for it to get the tool back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few on here that I, like, look at, and I kind of cringe that I'd forgotten about, like, you know, Once Upon a Time is one that I... I never want to see that played ever again. Dude, anything from that era, Once Upon a Time, Oko. Uh, yeah, there, there's a couple from that that time where Uro. No, I don't need them. I don't need them. <laughs> oh, dude. Uh, <laughs> Once Upon a Time, I think was like, because, you know, we were just talking about like, if you go back and listen, we totally missed on Oko. We thought it was fine. Um, but like, Once Upon a Time, literally everyone I listened to was like, this is not an okay magic card. This is like no. vintage staple level. And it kind of just mystifies me that it got to that. But again, there's a lot of cards that I have like a personal visceral reaction, like Arkham's Astrolabe. Where I'm like, ugh. but you know, 
Chrome Mox has never been in the format, which is weird to think. Like it was hmm. banned from the jump. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So same with like Glimpse of Nature, which I think is probably a good thing to have not around. Um, and you know, I'll always be the guy that you know. Hey, if you want to throw th- seeding song my way, I know it's bad. I know, <laughs> I know it's like not an acceptable card, but uh, I would like to play. It is all I'm saying. So, all right, Cameron, let's get out of the segment, come back, and talk about what else we've been up to. So, Cameron, we're we're living in a weird weird world where multitude of movies have come out, and you have not watched them. This Dungeons and Dragons movie is actually getting good reviews. I almost went to it today. Almost went to it, but um, I have a day off here. This in the middle of the week where my wife is still working. I might just go and do a eleven o'clock matinee or something like that. Uh, I mean, I. I was not surprised to hear that it was better than the Dungeons and Dragons movie from our uh, late teenagehood, um, but I I was listening to the Slash Filmcast and they read the uh, Roger Ebert <laughs> review of that movie when it came out, and it was probably one of the worst like evisu- eviscerations of a movie ever. <laughs> he described the set design as like. It looks like it was filmed in the woods behind the Sam's Club on the interstate. <laughs> like, ouch! <laughs> I mean, the man the man had a gift for criticism. <laughs> like... So, I I want to just talk very very quickly about a very complex relationship I have, Cameron. I'm reading these notes and then I I'm concerned. Yeah. I bought Skyrim again. What is like wrong with me? <laughs> so first of all, I don't own it on Switch, so I bought it on Switch. It was on sale for like twenty bucks, and I'm getting ready to go on a road trip. So I thought this would be a very low stress thing for me to play on a plane or whatever, um, or traveling. Um, I have you ever met anyone that's actually finished this game? One person, a coworker, and. Um I remember, like, he looked me in the eyes, like, and he was like, I will never play that game again. (laughs) But everybody who else has never finished it seems to love it. (laughs) Well, somewhere along the line, I think it was during Fallout 4, which, by the way, never also finished, right? I discovered the key to enjoying Bethesda games, like the actual company, not like the publisher, but, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the Elder Scrolls games and the Fallout games is you just turn the difficulty basically way down. Mm-hmm. Like, because I kind of feel like, even in Fallout, which has better combat mechanics, the combat is really not the enjoyable part of what you're doing. And I would argue this was the problem with Fallout 4, is they leaned way too much into the combat. Uh, but Fallout 3, Oblivion, Skyrim, if you just make it about the role-playing and out the combat stuff, make it trivial... Mm-hmm. It tends to be a better experience, but I've played Skyrim also in VR. Like I played it on the PS4 yeah, VR yeah. for a couple hours, and that was probably my favorite Skyrim experience. But the reason I'm bringing this up, Cameron, is this year is going to be their spacefaring game. Yeah, it's on my calendar, man. Okay. <laughs> is is the thing? Because I guess I don't know which of their games you finished, but have have you? Lock, do you lock into the game more because of the setting or the gameplay or where are you at with their stuff? 
Help me understand I, myself. <laughs> I think I tend to agree. So somehow I did finish Fallout 4. Um, and like you, I turned the difficulty way down. And that game, the biggest problem I had with it is, I think, very similar to you. It wanted to be a shooter. It was trying to be a first-person shooter. And it still had like all the Fallout 3 mechanics behind it. And it just didn't quite jive correctly. Um, I mean, like, yeah, I own Skyrim on the PlayStation 3, the PlayStation 4, and the Switch as well. Like, I mean, so I've I've owned multiple versions of it. Somehow I still don't own it on PC, uh, which is a real shame. But, like, I I love that game. I I think it's like, I mean... Somehow, like, even though I've never finished it and I get very sick of it after, like, 13 to 15 hours of gameplay, um, I still revere it somehow. Like, I'm like, oh, man, I should go back and play this game. Um, so the new spacefaring game, if it's Skyrim, but all, like, you know, as far as, like, the the Bethesda thing, if it's just Fallout Skyrim and the Bethesda sort of thing, but it's, like, the sci-fi thing world traveling uh, you know or galaxy hopping or whatever you want to call it um that sounds fantastic to me because i'm i'm always in it for the the sci-fi and if i get like a star trek with bethesda sign me up and we should say it doesn't kind of look like star trek it's got a lot of star trek influence to it yeah like yeah. a lot um yeah i would say for whatever reason it must have been the era or the vibe, but like Oblivion is the one that's connected with me the most. And I mean, I I hop back onto Oblivion probably twice a year uh, on the new Xbox as it runs at 4K and 60 frames a second and mm-hmm. still tons of technical limitations, right? Like the draw distance is horrible and, and the, you could tell that they hadn't discovered a lot of things about open worlds there. Like there mm. are a lot of big hills, like a lot, a lot. You know, and while that might be true to what things are like in real life, it's not exactly a blast to traverse. <laughs> um, but there's there's something about it that feels a little more handmade than Skyrim or the Fallout games, and I don't know what that is. Where I would argue also, this is kind of where Witcher Three blew way past the Bethesda stuff. Is that th- if you look at the environments in Witcher 3 they feel so much more vibrant like they have an artist mm-hmm. touch to them and Skyrim just kind of lacks that a little bit um, but anyway that being said I'll probably put like 25 hours to onto it on Switch and just relax and chill and have a great time you know mm-hmm. um, and there is an element of just playfulness right like it's kind of silly d and I'm gonna you know hop a bunch while I'm in this dungeon and, you know... Yeah, do yeah. St- you can totally min-max everything you want to do on that game. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. So they kind of they kind of give you that freedom, but I guess this what this boils down to is a... Hey, it's a pretty good game. Like, it's a great game. It came out the same year as Dark Souls 1, which is kind of crazy to think about. That blows my mind, yeah. Um, But it, it, what Dark Souls has in precision and, like really thoughtful design Skyrim just gives you in freedom mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. kind of to its detriment and it's a, a success, but I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know about Skyrim. Uh, 
Also, I finished a book called Blade of Faith. I want to talk about that like next week. I have a lot okay. of thoughts. I always like to bring in a new doorstopper fantasy to like talk about with people. So uh, anyway, so if you want to, you know, read that over the next week, that's going to be your oh, homework. Cam- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then get back to me. All right, Cameron, if someone would like to uh, reach out to you and talk to you about how to turn Fallout 4 into a more uh, peaceful game, where can they find you? It's all on Twitter. At Cameron underscore McCoy. And I'm Matt Curtis Now. Our official show feed is at SpikeBeatMTG. We'll check you guys next week.